Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, worship team. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for those who are joining us online. That song was um, another Holy Spirit moment, as you will see as we walk into this. This morning, uh, we are going to be serving communion a little later. For those who are watching us online, I want to give you a heads up. Um, Get yourself some juice, get yourself some bread so that you can share communion with us. Last couple of weeks, starting with our our service on the lawn, I talked about the spiritual realm, the dark forces and the good forces, the spiritual realm that is all around us, the unseen. And really what kind of prompted that a little bit was um, personal study. And, And as I'm reading through Ephesians, the whole section on the armor of God. And and Paul has this way of of writing. When he writes, very often a new section begins with the word therefore. So it refers to something that was there before it. So you go back and then that bit begins with therefore and then that bit begins with therefore. And as I was kind of studying this, I realized the way that we live in response to the spirits that are around us, good, or, good and bad, are, are pretty much covered in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So we're going to be looking at this wonderful letter from now till the end of the year. It's six chapters. We've got six weeks, not including Christmas Day. Are we having church on Christmas Day? Yes, <laughs> we are having church on Christmas Day, just in case you were wondering. Uh, but it's going to be a party. It's going to be a birthday party for Jesus. So, uh, but we've got six other weeks, so we'll work our way through this. So it's going to be a little bit of a Bible study, and uh, I'll interject it with some stories and try and make it interesting for you. So it's a letter. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's start off with a little bit of fun here. When was the last time that you hand wrote a letter, put it in an envelope, put a postage stamp on it, And went to the mailbox and mailed it. I mean, it's something we don't do. So let's see. Who's done that in the last five years? Okay, we've got a few. Who's done that in the last three years? We've still got a few, the same few. Who's done that in the last year? So we have a few. Now, just for fun, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody because technology has changed. Everything is email. Who has never handwritten a letter addressed an envelope, put a stamp on it, and took it to the mailbox. Anybody? So we do have one. Michael over there, too. We have two. The young people, right? Just not in their sphere of experience. When you wrote a letter, what greeting did you use to introduce yourself? I mean, typically in modern letters, we put, the, we put our name at the end of the letter, right? When you read these letters in in the New Testament, especially the ones from Paul, it begins with the greeting. It begins with the person who it is from. Um, You know, and and I wonder about these letters. What did he write on? What did he write with? He, He wrote on a parchment. In fact, if you do a little bit of research, the chances are Paul probably didn't write very much of any of his letters. He would have dictated them to a scribe who would have written it for him. I want to get one of those. If I could get the elders, um, I want a scribe. (laughs) And when you read this, you know, you, you look at Ephesians, you look at these books in the Bible. Ephesians is six chapters. It's easy to forget this is a letter. You know, when it was written, it didn't have chapters. It didn't have verses. It had dear and off. How many pages and you get a letter, it's like, wow, it's going to take me three days to read this letter. But it's important to to just remember as we go through Ephesians, it is a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesians. Now, it's really good. It's a great one for us to read. Here's why. Paul wrote it. Most of Paul's letters are written to address an issue. Something's going on in a church, in the church of Philippi or the church of Corinth. And Paul is writing his letter to address that issue. So there's usually some kind of corrective measures. The letter that goes to the Ephesians was simply a letter to the believers in Ephesus who were mostly Gentiles, which is what we are. It was a letter of encouragement. It was a letter uh, somewhat of instruction. 
But mostly it was just a letter to a brand new church to just help them understand, here's what it means to be a follower of the Lord. So it's a great study. So we're going to go over it over the next six weeks. And it is really a word of encouragement and a word of direction. So let's have a quick prayer here and we'll get right into Ephesians chapter 1. Heavenly Father, I thank you once again just for your Holy Spirit, your holy presence with us today. Father, I felt your spirit here this morning in the music and the words that were sung. And I already know from what I'm teaching on in that last song that you just knit everything together. Father, every single person that's here this morning, every person that's watching online or who will watch online, are here for your purpose. It's because you ordained them to be here and hear these words. So, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just flow among us Take away the distractions. Take away those things that are of Satan that would take us away from your word. Fill us with your spirit so that we won't just be informed, but we will be transformed. And Father, I pray that you would empty me of me so that the words that come out of my mouth are not my words, but your words. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to go through this first chapter. I'm going to read a verse or two, talk about it. You know, there's two ways of studying. And you ever been in a study of a book and it goes on for years? Sometimes that's the way it is, right? You, you get into a verse and you just, boom, boom, we're not doing that. We're going to get through Ephesians in six weeks. So here's my encouragement to you. Today is chapter one. Next week is chapter two. Go home and read chapter two. Look for insight. Look for what God wants to say to you, and then we'll cover it as in a big picture here. So chapter 1, and I'm reading from the New Living. says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I love Paul was rock solid in his identity. He was rock solid in his calling. He was rock solid in his relationship with the Lord. And why wouldn't he be? I mean, he was a persecutor of the church. One day he's on his way to persecute other churches, and Jesus intersects his life on the road, knocks him off his feet, blinds him. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? I mean, Paul had an encounter with Jesus that was a life-changing encounter. That's why he's so rock-solid. Can you imagine... (laughs) Being so solid and confident in who you are in Christ and your calling in Christ that you would introduce yourself in this manner. You, know, you, you go up to someone, you meet someone at IHOP. Hi, Mike Bishop, called by the Lord Almighty to be a pastor of the Church of Lakeway here in the colony. How are you doing? I mean, <laughs> it'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? But if you, you, that's who Paul was, it was his identity. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning is identity. And then he says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. So he's confident in his calling and he's confident in the calling of the recipients of this letter. Now there's a good chance that that Paul wrote this letter not just to be read at Ephesus. It was to be circulated amongst other churches because it was a general kind of letter. I love it. Holy, faithful followers of Jesus. What an amazingly encouraging way to greet people. I mean, we beat up ourselves so quickly, don't we? Oh, I'm not the person I'm supposed to be. I don't do the things I'm supposed to be. We're very quick to beat ourselves down. And there's a place for that. But Satan uses that kind of thing to keep us beaten down. We're not supposed to live with our tail between our legs. We're supposed to live with our chin up, with the light of the Lord in our lives, confident in who we are in Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. And he continues on. He says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Immediately a blessing. I'm Paul from God. Right into the people of God. Grace and peace to you. I love I wish I could write like this. This is awesome. And then he changes the focus in verse 3. He says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united 
with Christ. Well, what does it mean to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Now, this is kind of interesting. The the Greek word translated blessing here is the word eulogy. Anybody ever heard that word? Anytime you go to a funeral, you hear the word eulogy, right? Typically, part of a funeral service is a eulogy. And and what it means in the Greek is to speak well of. So what Paul is saying, this is just a beautiful thing. He's saying, because of Jesus Christ, you are being spoken well of in heaven. Think about that for a second. There's a bunch of angels and spirits up in heaven speaking well of you and of me because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's it's, it's interesting. And the Lord is pouring out his blessings upon those who are being spoken well of. Well, what are the blessings that the Lord is... is, There's so many. I mean, we could spend the next six weeks talking about the blessings. But right here in this passage of Scripture, so verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us, there's a blessing, and chose us, he had a purpose for us, in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We are loved. We are chosen in Christ to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart, to be special. You ever thought of yourself as as holy? Special? (laughs) To be set apart. In Jesus Christ, you are set apart. You are holy. You see, part of all of this living by the Spirit is beginning to see yourself differently. And it's not that we whitewash the, the stuff that's not good, but we're so good at the stuff that's not good, we need to grasp hold of who we are in Christ. What our future is, what our destiny is. He sees us, look, look at these words, without fault. Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be good if people would see you without fault? That's how the Lord sees you. That's how God sees you. Through Jesus Christ, he sees you without fault. They're they're up there talking about you. And it's not bad stuff. It's good, good stuff. (laughs) The Bible says that, that all have sinned, everyone. And yet through Christ, when the Lord looks upon us, looks upon those who have accepted his son, And his sacrifice, he sees them without fault. I love this. That's a blessing, isn't it? Is that not a blessing? Yeah, Yeah, are you sure? (laughs) Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It was God's preordained will to adopt all those who are in Christ into his family. He said, you get to be part of the family of God. You're not just friends, you're family. Family goes deeper, right? It's in the blood. And it gives him great pleasure to do it. We are favored, we are blessed, we are part of the family of God. Verse 6, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. And Paul is going to talk about this a little bit more further in the book. None of this, none of these blessings, none of this talking of us and seeing of us us without fault is anything to do with any merit that comes from us. It is all the gift of God through grace and mercy. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Now think this through for a minute. See if you're tracking with me. What Paul is saying is that before sin ever existed, God 
already have the plan in place to rescue you, to rescue me from the consequences of our brokenness and our sin. In Revelation, we've got a group that study in Revelation. In Revelation, it says that the Lamb was slain before creation. So this goes back to something I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, that this whole eternal realm versus our three-dimensional realm, past, present, future. And we can't get our heads around foreverness. You can sit and ponder it if you want. It'll just make you dizzy. You can't fully understand it. Before you were born, God already knew that you would accept his son And he made a place for you in his family before you were born, before creation. It's it's just hard to get your head around. Verse 8, he has showered us his he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Hmm. Wisdom and understanding. When Paul was writing this. They didn't have half of the Bible. They had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. They were writing the New Testament. They were the New Testament. We now have wisdom and understanding because we've got the four Gospels that explains about who Jesus is, Jesus' role. We've got all these letters from Paul. We have revelation that talks about what is to come. So we have understanding that they did not have. In verse 5, it says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance And he makes everything work out according to his plan. God is in the story. We just sang it. God is in the story. God's plan cannot be thwarted. We may not fully understand his plan, but we can trust his plan. Right now, we live in the brokenness of this world. I often get people come to me and ask me questions, especially when they're going through difficulties in their lives. You know, like, why is God allowing this? Why does this happen? Well, I'll tell you why. Because right now, Satan has free rule. In this time, Satan has free rule. He is defeated, but he has not yet dealt with. And we live in the brokenness. But at the right time, in the Lord's time, he is going to bring it all together. We may not understand it right now, but at some point we will. Verse 12 goes on. It says, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own By giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. This is kind of pay it forward. So the Jews were God's original chosen people. They were the ones who were given the promise, the covenant. But Jesus came along at the right time to open that up to everybody. He changed it. And we're going to talk about that when we have communion. He says, no longer is your righteousness over from what you do as good Jewish people. Your righteousness now is now found in Jesus Christ. He becomes your righteousness. And guess what, good Jewish people? You are the bearers of the message, and you're going to take this message to the rest of the world. They were his called people to be messengers. Pay it forward. And what are we paying forward? The understanding that we have been purchased. So I just want to camp on this for a minute. And I've, you know, I've talked about this many times. We talk about the free gift of grace. 
Sin separates us from God. The Bible says that God can't even look upon sin. And every single one of us is a sinner. So every single one of us in our natural state is separated from God. Separated from love, separated from light, separated from hope, separated from everything that is good in God. We are separated because of our sin. But it was never God's plan for us to be separated from him. So right at the beginning, he put a plan together to bring us back to him. And that plan was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to take the sin of all people, this separation from God, and pay the penalty for that sin. It's kind of like you go to court and you're guilty. I don't know. Let's think of a nice sin here. So is murder. (laughs) You killed someone. You did it in anger. You did it for all the wrong reasons. And you're guilty. And the judge says, death. Boom. And somebody stands up and walks in and says, I'm taking the punishment. I'm taking your death sentence. And you can go free. Was your death sentence free? It was paid for, right? And it's very important that we understand when we talk about grace, grace is a free gift, but the gift cost something. Often, you know, I think people think they got a free ticket to heaven. You don't have a free ticket to heaven. You have a ticket that says paid in full. You have a receipt that gets you into heaven. Jesus said, for anyone who believes in me, I will take your sin, I will clean it off, and I will present you to God and speak kindly of you. And you will be rejoined to God again. Verse 15. So the last part of this this scripture here is really what I want to focus in on this morning. Paul says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. It's like, man, I love you people. I thank God for you all. I do. I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. This is where we get to the essence of what this is all about. What is wisdom? Somebody asked this question today. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world. If you have no wisdom, you're not going to use that knowledge or you're not going to use that knowledge in the right way. Wisdom is when you have knowledge and you use it in the right manner. Well, how do you grow in your knowledge of God? Is it through reading the Bible? That's knowledge. That's not wisdom. You must have God moments. You must have moments in your life where you experience God in such a way that it changes you. It makes your faith stronger. It gives you confidence. It gives you hope. God moments happen when you choose to elevate your life in the power of the Holy Spirit and live in obedience to God. It's when you step out from the book and you start putting the book in action in your life. And and it can be so many little things. You know, God moments happen when you see 
someone give their life to Christ, get baptized, and maybe enter into some work of God, and you know that part of that person's story was you helping in youth ministry, or you helping in children's ministry, or a small group, or a Bible study. You became part of that person's life, and you see the fruit of that going on in front of you. That's a God moment. That changes you. That's wow. God moments happen. Oh, gosh, I'm thinking of the ones that when you step out in faith, and you, I hate to talk about money, but I'm going to. <laughs> when, you, when you're obedient with your finances, when you choose to, to tithe, to give God a tenth of your income, it's kind of like a lot of people like, Ooh, please don't talk about this. And, and all of a sudden, you realize that the ministry that is going on around you, every word that is spoken, every note that is played, every screen that is up there, every life that is changed is happening partly because of your obedience. God moments happen when you follow the whisper of the Holy Spirit that's telling you, to talk to someone, to spend some time with someone, to build a relationship with someone, to have coffee with someone, to just be there for someone. I remember a time when God whispered to me about a specific person. As I was putting this together, I was thinking about this person who, who was resistant to God. And yet I felt God just keep telling me, just keep on keeping on. And have coffee with the guy. Have breakfast with the guy. Invite him out sometimes. Invite him over to your home and, and, and just build a relationship with this person. And sometimes you think, what's the point? And then one day, that person comes to you and asks you a question. And you know the question came from the Holy Spirit. And you're able to open the scripture and share Jesus with them. And they ask Jesus to come into their lives as Lord and Savior. And then a few years later, at a young life, way too early, that person drops dead from a heart attack. And you know that you will see them again because of your obedience to a whisper of the Holy Spirit. That's a God moment. When you have God moments, you you grow in your knowledge of God. You grow in the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You grow in confidence. Paul says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. What does light do? Casts out the darkness, doesn't it? It illuminates. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the essence of it all here. Seeing and understanding who you are in Christ and whose you are and the power of that relationship in your life today Seeing yourself through God's eyes will change how you live. You know, it's kind of weird. As Christians, I think of it as time travel. Because of the Holy Spirit that has been deposited in us, it is given to us as the promise of something that is yet to come. The hope that is not yet realized, we become time travelers. Have you ever thought about time travel? Anybody ever thought about time travel? Most people have. Yeah, I know you have. (laughs) Wouldn't it be cool to be able to travel through time? I mean, if you could travel through time and take five minutes, you get five minutes to go anywhere in time, where would you go? Where? Powerball numbers. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Give me another one. 
Say again? The Last Supper. The Last Supper. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Another one. Calgary? Okay. I've been there, lived there. All right. <laughs> Calgary's a nice place. You know, I've asked this question of people, and it's interesting the answers you get. Sometimes there, people want to go back to a moment in time to see a loved one. Some people want to go back to the moment in time when they met their spouse. Don't do it. No. <laughs> We've got to grasp this. The power of the Holy Spirit within us. And what it means to live by the Spirit. We can be time travelers. We have deposited in us a glimpse of the future. A glimpse of what is to come. A glimpse of who we are to become. And we have the power, believe it or not, through the Holy Spirit to reach into the future and to take some of that hope and that joy and everything that we have in the future and bring it back into this present day. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us opportunity to be time travelers. This is all about living your future destiny now. That's how we're called to live. That's how we're called to rise above the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That's what the song was all about. God is in the story. Here's what I sincerely believe. If you could spend 30 seconds in the presence of the Lord, where you're going to go in paradise, in the future... If you could spend 30 seconds there, it would change your life today. It would redirect your life. It would change the way you live. It would change why you get out of bed in the morning. It would change what you're afraid of and what you're not afraid of. It would change what you're concerned about. Your whole life would be redefined by that 30-second moment with the Lord. You wouldn't care for the things of this world. You wouldn't get in a time machine to get the Powerball numbers because you would not care. It'd be like, wow. Worry would be eradicated. I know my future. I've tasted my future. I felt my future. I don't care about any of this stuff. Your purpose would be redefined. Now, while we can't do that, we get a glimpse of it through the Holy Spirit that is deposited in us. And when we begin to live by the Spirit, live for what is to come rather than what is, You take what is to come and you bring it into your life today. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all the things that you're going to be just swamped with when you're walking with Jesus. The Spirit brings it into your life today. They're all attitudes. They're all blessings of what to come. That's the future you. That's the future me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to bring some of that future hope into today. Why? So that we can praise and glorify God. So that more people will come to know Him. More people will experience His hope. And more people will have an eternity with God in paradise. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. 
God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Everything is under the authority of Christ. Every crisis, every leader getting into elections. And oh my gosh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I've lived in three different countries. You all get way too freaked out over elections. You really do. Every time we have an election, I'm having to walk people through it. The world is not going to end. Didn't end at the last election, won't end at the next election. God's still in charge. Nothing changed. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Everything is under the authority of Christ. Everything is under the authority of Christ. Now, just as Kayla said in her prayer, that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to wave a magic wand and all of your problems and all of your fears and all of the mess of this world is just going to disappear. He is at some point, not a magic wand, but he's going to bring it all together. But right now, we live in it. But here's the difference between you who are a follower of Jesus Christ and the person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. Knowing that all things are under the authority of our Lord means that in all of this brokenness, we have a hope that transcends it. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in worry. What if this happens? What if that happens? So what if it does? Jesus is still in authority. It's still in his hands. They're still saying nice things about you in the heavenly realms. They're still looking forward to the day that you come up and join them. Your future is set. Your future is certain. Who cares? What if they drop the bomb? I get to be with Jesus. What if they don't drop the bomb? I got to wait to be with Jesus. <laughs> we are not hopeless. We are hopeful. All right, let me bring this to a close. Put verse 22 back up there. Good. Christ is head over all things. Why? God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. Isn't that interesting? For the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. To live by the Spirit means to live in community, Christian community. That's what this is all about. This is God's design for us. This is why it's important to encourage those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't need church. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're part of his body. You are part of his church. You do need church. It's your destiny in Christ. We live by the Spirit together. We live in hope together. We do this together. We experience life together. We overcome together. This is why the church is so important. It is the body of Christ made full and complete by Christ. This is his plan for his followers. And it is in this community that we experience the fullness of Christ. So it makes sense that that Jesus... Before he departed from his followers to go on trial and go to the cross, one of the last things that he did is he had those people gathered together in a room and they shared a meal together. We call it communion because it is in community with one another and with Jesus and with God. I love what 1 Corinthians 10 says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, participation in the blood of Christ. We get to be part of it. 
And is not the bread that we break a participation of the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. We are called to be united as the church. Can I have those come forward, please, that are going to help with communion? I left the lids on, I'm sorry. So this is the beginning of Ephesians, talking about this spirit of oneness, about seeing who we are in Christ. I mean, just in the greeting that Paul gives to God's holy, faithful people in Ephesus. And beginning to see yourself as God sees you, faultless. It's hard, isn't it? That's what this is about. You are seen faultless because of the body of Christ that was broken. You know, I was thinking about this this morning and I asked them to give me a little bit of bread. I want to break the bread. And the scripture says in Matthew, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread and blessed it. What's it like for a piece of bread to be blessed? Then he broke it in pieces, ripped it apart, and he gave it to his disciples. And I was thinking this morning, when he broke that bread... And he talked about his body being broken. Every broken promise that we made was eradicated. All the brokenness of our lives, all the stuff that that we have on our shoulders, all the things that we've done wrong, when he broke his body, our brokenness was made whole. He put it back together again. Scripture continued on. It says he took a cup of wine. I'm sure it was bigger than that. And he gave thanks to God for it. I like someone who gives thanks to God for wine. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he gave it to each of them and he said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many and and if you don't catch it there Jesus is time traveling because he hasn't gone to the cross yet his blood has not yet been spilled but he doesn't speak in future tense he speaks in present tense this is my body which is broken for you this is my blood which is shed for you It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. We're going to share communion together. If you're here for the first time, let me explain how we do it here at Lakeway. We're going to invite you to come forward, take the bread, take the juice, and take it back to your seat. And then we will share communion together. Now, we're going to have a little moment of prayer before we get there because the Bible does talk about not taking communion with a wrong heart. Now, let me tell you something. Every single one of us has a wrong heart. But it is because of what Jesus has done that we are able to partake in communion. But what the scripture also says is that if you've got an ongoing thing, if you've got a grudge or something against someone, you need to get that sorted out. And it comes back to forgiveness, I believe, is the essence of this. What's the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And you might not be able to take communion today. No one is going to hold you in judgment. And if they do, they'd better not take communion. 
But if you've got something that you need to get sorted out with someone, you need to do that so that next time we do communion, you can come and be a part of it. So please come forward. Take the bread, take the juice. Come back and sit down and we'll, we'll share communion together. of five loaves and <laughs> we have three cups left. <laughs> Please stand. I said we would pray and then I let you collect communion before we prayed. But there's a reason for that. We're all broken. None of us are worthy to take communion. It's through his body and it's through his blood that that door to God is opened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness to come down and be amongst us. But not just to teach and to show us how to live, he demonstrated to us absolute servitude 
when the time was right, he gave his body to be nailed to a cross, to be broken, to face death, to face the wrath of you. He took upon himself the sin of all people for all time. And your word tells us, we just read it in Ephesians, that to each and every one who would accept the sacrifice, his body broken, that they would have everlasting life. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his body broken for us. Take thank you for the blood that was shed. And I just love these words that Jesus said. He shared this before he went to the cross. This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins. Thank you, Father, for this simple communion service, this little piece of bread and a little sip of juice that means so much. It gives us a hope of what is to come. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. That's just the beginning, okay? So that's chapter one. That's just to prepare us. Paul then goes on in the subsequent five chapters to put the meat and the potatoes. Hope there's no vegans here, I'm sorry. (laughs) On what he's talking about. How do we live this life? How do we get that hope from the future and make it real in the presence? We're going to take up our offering. Can I have those come forward, please, who are going to take up the offering? Three ways you can give. You can give right here, right now. There are envelopes on the back of the seats. You can put your offering in there, drop it in the basket. You can go to our website, lakewayonline.org. Click on Give. You can give through Tithely. You can mail it in. I know we have a lot of people online, and uh, some of those mail it in. Please be faithful with your giving. We need your giving to do the work that God has called us to do. And you need to be faithful because that is one of the ways that you experience the Lord. So let's pray for this and we'll get them and I'll do the announcements. Father, we give you thanks again. I thank you for your faithful servants, Father. I pray that as we give, we would give in obedience, that we would give generously and we would give sacrificially. Father, would you multiply this offering for the work that you've called us to do here at Lakeway. Father, that we would have all that we need to do all of the work that you've called us to do. And Father... As part of leadership, I pray for wisdom for us in leadership that we would use the money that you give us wisely for your service. In Jesus' name, amen. While they're doing that, let me give some announcements here. Tomorrow is First Monday. Who knows what First Monday is? First Monday prayer. We invite you to come. First Monday of the month at 7 p.m., we get gathering here to pray. Typically, we'll have about five, six, seven people. Sometimes we have 10 people. I'd love for us to have 40, 50 people come and pray. But not everybody can. I know that some people have got kids and there are all kinds of things going on. But if you're able and you want to live by the Spirit, live to experience God, come and be a part of prayer. It's a simple step, but it's a step in the right direction. We've got two classes that we're doing. We started Sunday school, and they're both pretty full right away, but there's always room for more. So if you want to, one class is studying Philippians, the other class is studying James. So if you're interested, come for nine o'clock next week, and we'll get you plugged in there. Living Nativity is coming up. We're doing it differently this year. We're kind of getting back into the swing of things. Doesn't it feel good to get back in the swing of things? 
It's nice to see so many people, and I know there's so many away, but oh my gosh, it feels good. It's like a cloud is being lifted. So we're going to do our living nativity. We're not going to do the thing through the streets that we've done. We're going to do it on the front lawn. We're going back to traditional. It's our Christmas card to the community, but we're only doing it on one day this year. On the Saturday, we're going to do a, a 6.30, a 7.15, and an 8. We need angels. We need wise men. We need shepherds. We need Mary. We need Joseph. Nobody has to speak. Nobody has to act. You just have to dress up and stand there. There's a sign-up sheet on the back table. Everything is on the back table, okay? So there's a sign-up sheet back there. We need to get people to sign up for that. And, you know, it's what? 20 minutes, 25 minutes? Then your turn's over and someone else comes in. So be a part of that. Next Sunday, immediately following the this, this service, we have two great things going on. The great, great thing is we are having a chili cook-off. Now, not many people have signed up for the chili cook-off. There's a sign-up sheet back there. The longs are signed up. I was told to sign you up. The pastor is signed up. I'm going to make chili. But we need some serious competition. This guy needs to sign up. I can see it, yeah. So if you want to make some chili, there's a sign-up sheet back there, and it'll be a blind taste test. People get to taste the chili and vote. I'm assuming that's what we're doing. We are now. And vote <laughs> on the chili. Ooh. <laughs> I like the attitude. <clears throat> All right, so we got at least three, four. So uh, sign up for that. And you can see around the church also is our women's ministry auction. So each year, uh, for the last few years, we've had an auction to raise money for our women's ministry. So this is so that ladies, uh, maybe that couldn't afford to go to the retreat, can go to the retreat. It's opportunity to reach out with God's love to the ladies in our church. So some neat things. If you go back there, you'll see some. You can bid on them. There's a thing in your bulletin, right? You got one of these? Yep. There's some back there. There's some out in the foyer. What else is going on? Thanksgiving is coming up. We will have a list of things to bring for Thanksgiving starting next week. Is that good? There's some have started bringing in. What is Thanksgiving? Did I hear you ask? <laughs> what is Thanksgiving? Thank you for asking. Real quick. Is there a Cowboys game? Oh, we got all day. <laughs> Thanksgiving away, most of you know, every year at Thanksgiving, we try to find 10, 12 families who are in need, and Hungry Souls cooks a meal, we provide all the fi fixing, and on Thanksgiving Day, we go and deliver the meal to that family. It is a real blessing. And uh, we go there, we chat with them, we pray with them, and sometimes, you know, they've got two, three family members over, and it's just neat to be able to provide. So... We do that, so we'll be, ask, we'll be making a list of, of what we need. Turkeys. We need turkeys. So get that on your list right away, okay? So, oh, there you go, right there. Thanks, giveaway 214-529-6639. Awesome. And... That's all we've got except for one thing. Did you notice a pile of coats in the foyer? That's from our coat drive two weeks ago. Isn't it a nice big pile of coats? And how much did we raise? 1500 and something? 13 You can still give. You can still give. Again, this is just a way of helping our community. Online things, yep. It's all in this note, I believe. Somewhere. Online, auction, yes. Um, go to our Facebook page. Lots of good stuff online, thank you. Men's breakfast is this coming Saturday. Thank you for reminding me. So, back to the coats. What's your name, young man? Tim. Tim. Mr. Fry <laughs> is going to be moving those coats from the foyer over to the youth building 
immediately following this service, so in two minutes. If you can give him a hand, that would be awesome. So here's what you're going to do right now. You're going to go to the back table, sign up for Living Nativity, sign up to cook chili. You're going to look at the items for the, for the auction. You're going to go online. You're going to start bidding on the items on the auction. And then you're going to give each other a handshake and a hug. And you're going to say, it's lovely to be in community with you. And then you're going to leave. All right? <laughs> so please stand. <laughs> Benevolence offering. One more thing. Whenever we take up communion, boy, we have a lot of things to help community, don't we? I love this church. So every time we take communion, we have a benevolence offering. So if you've got some cash in your pocket, give it to that man or give it to whoever's back there, Barry. This is money that doesn't go to this church in any way whatsoever. We get people that call in. Their house is going to be repossessed or whatever. Can you help pay the water bill? Can you help pay the power bill? That's what we do with this money. Father, we just give you thanks. I thank you for each and every person that is here. I thank you for those who have joined us online. I thank you for all the wonderful things that you're doing through this community. Father, we're not a very big community, but we have a very big footprint. And I thank you for all the things and all the people that we get to help. Father, may we be a blessing. This is how we experience you. This is how we know you. Father, pour out your blessings, I pray, so that as we go from here, We can be a blessing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Back there, out there, coach to the youth building.